Welcome to Forum Passion episode 65. This is the first episode of the new year, 2022. Appreciate everybody that has been uh, continuing to join us over the past couple years, probably coming up on three at this point, hard to believe. At the top of each of these episodes, we give a shout out to the Patreon subscribers that uh, keep this podcast funded. If you want to uh, you know, help us out and contribute to the podcast, you can donate $2 a month to get an additional episode on the last Friday of each month. That's going to be a little bit different than our regular interview process. It's going to be more discussion-based. We talk about records, do band comparisons, talk about shows, just you know, general kind of shooting the shit with, uh, you know, myself and Sam and a guest. Um, but uh, like I said, we should give a shout out to all the people that had subscribed since the last episode at the top of each of the mainline feeds. So if you do so, you'll be given a shout out. Uh, we're going to send a shout out to Connor Humphrey. I appreciate you for joining us on Patreon. Uh, send a shout out to Charlotte Mooney. Charlotte Mooney is a, a, a much younger person in the Richmond hardcore scene. She's uh, in the band No Other Way. She takes a lot of photos at shows. Um, I want to say her handle's like Charlotte X Mooney. Um, she's really cool. It's, it's rare that I meet people that young, uh, getting into hardcore. I want to say I met her when she was like 14, like a couple years ago. Um, uh, Colin Mraz edited his pledge to $12 a month. A big shout out to you, Colin. Y'all don't have to do that, but if you, if you got it like that and you want to help out by all means, we appreciate it. And, uh, one more for this month or this episode, we got, uh, Matt, Rollin Cotter. Uh, appreciate you, Matt. Thanks for joining us over there on Patreon. Um, you know, starting off uh, the year with a bang, um, got a very seasoned individual uh, as our first episode of 2022. Um, someone I've been seeing on, on and off stages for uh, the better part of a decade, if not a decade, um, if not more. Um, and uh, somebody that I think you know, has, has contributed to doing a lot of very interesting stuff in regards to their interpretation of, of heavy music. Um, we have on uh, Bo Loaders uh, himself. How you doing, Bo? I'm doing well, thanks. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? It's it's Looters, but Looters. Nobody, nobody says it right. Yeah. My my fault. I, no, I just I realized I probably screwed that up. But, don't um, even worry about it. Bo Looters, everybody. Don't fuck it up. You're hearing it here. <laughs> Never say his last name incorrectly. <laughs> um, how you been, man? It's been a minute. Yeah, yeah, it has been a while. You, uh, man, when the last time I saw you was in Chicago. Was he? Damn, I guess it would have been. Because we haven't uh, been out that way when no. we were still on the East Coast. Dude, it would have been, that would have been 2018, man. Yeah, that sounds um, about right. I'm, I'm, which is interesting. You, you, you say something that I'm looking forward to getting to is how like Harm's Way has not been out. When was the last time Harm's Way played the East Coast? Uh, I was on the Cannibal Corpse tour end of 2018. Okay, so it's been yeah. probably since right about that time. Yeah, we okay, played, we played uh, Virginia Beach at fucking. Cocos or Shacos. Shacos. Yeah. Mm, yeah uh, yes. <laughs> Rest in peace to that location. Uh, I know the one. Um, you know, I've always known you as, you know, you know, being from around, like from Chicago, like, like, you know, we just talked about. Was, is that like home to you now or has that always been home? Yeah. I grew up um, in the suburbs. Um, all of us did in harm's way, actually. I grew up like 30 minutes outside of the city. 
Okay. And then when I was 18, which is 16 years ago, which is pretty fucked up to say, I moved into the city and I live um, in a neighborhood called Wicker Park in Chicago. Not You're far seen- from where Sorry, you guys ahead. played the, the last time you Oh, played. yeah. Not far from there. I am surprised that that is your age. Straight edge, baby. That, it, there it is. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Yeah. Don't crack. It's, it's huge. What, what year were you born? 87. Okay. Okay. If, 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 like, you know, if, if you told me you were five years younger, I'd have believed it. Wow. Um, Thanks. No problem. But, uh, so, you know, you, uh, you grew up, I mean, all of you grew up around that area. I mean, did, did y'all encounter each other when you were like very young or, or did y'all encounter each other later? Um, Chris and I, Chris is my, my life partner, my on again, off again, lover, my, uh, <laughs> my soulmate. He, he and I went to the same grade school, um, and up and we okay. lived, there was like this pond in our town. We're from a place called Roselle, Illinois. And, uh, there's like, there was like a pond and the back of my house faced the back of the pond, which was the back of his house also faced. And we just kind of, uh, I was mostly through skateboarding, like got familiar with each other. Cause you know, it's like a very typical, like white upper middle class kind of neighborhood. And, um, when you were into like skating or anything, like you're going to run into the only other people who are into that and kind of get a crash course in friendship, you know? When did you get into skateboarding? Probably like sixth, seventh grade. Cause it was like yeah. Blink-182, skateboarding, no effects. Like that was like the, the transition for us, you know? Chris uh, had an older brother who is a few years older than both of us. He, Chris is one year older than me. And um, Chris's older brother was instrumental in showing Chris like, Oh yeah, Blink One Eighty Two is cool. Oh yeah, you know, Good Charlotte, whatever. Here's Minor Threat. Here's the Misfits. Here's AFI. Here is like Slapshot. Like he was, mm. he was familiar with like, like real dude. punk rock and real hardcore. And that was, I mean, that was just the first domino of everything, you know, for sure. Before that time frame, uh, you know, being kind of like, I, which I generally do find people's like sort of like dive into into subculture world is right about that like sixth grade, seventh grade, that 11, 12, 10, 11, 12 time period. What were you into musically before that time period? It's funny. And I, I hope most people would would like feel the same way. Otherwise, I feel like alienated. But, um, you know, I think you go through cycles a lot in life. And, and growing up, my mom is like the biggest who fan ever. Like fucking obsessed with the who has met them like, like more than a dozen times and stuff. She's like, obsessed, yeah. And then dad, my parents were divorced um, when I was a kid and my dad was super into like Led Zeppelin and, you know, kind of Steely Dan and, and the Beatles and more pop stuff, but Led Zeppelin. And so that's what I was into was like the who and Led Zeppelin. I thought that was it. They were like the wizards of everything and they still pretty much are. And, you know, then I got into punk rock and it was like, oh, you, you know, Screeching Weasel says you can't like Led Zeppelin, dude. No fucking way. And it was like, oh, yeah, I don't like Led Zeppelin. And then obviously now I fucking love Led Zeppelin. But um, so that was pretty much it. I think the first well, and I was also really into kid rock in sixth grade. Okay. I was like, that there was my go. first like, oh, this <laughs> is for me. This is my thing. You know, that would have been uh, that, that would have been like definite like red hat like like bowler hat vibe like mm-hmm. wife beater and the track pants era of him for sure yep um de- definitely remember yeah. yeah yeah i def- I remember when ball at the ball came out 
for sure. <laughs> for sure. How old are you? Um, I'm 32. Oh, okay. okay. So I was born 89. So you and I aren't, aren't, yeah. aren't far off. So we've like, gone to high school together. Precisely. And, yeah. and you experience stuff at the same that kind of like that's why i always ask that question because I, I think people might like think it's kind of arbitrary but like in regards to subculture music i think it's actually pretty important because you find things like how you and i were to find like bands or get into stuff is oh, totally. very different than somebody who's like 21 right now oh dude yeah they weren't on the bridge nine soul seek like like that's such a relic of when we got into music and when the you know internet was infantile as far as like music streaming and shit goes so yeah absolutely very relevant um so so yeah and so to the to that point so you're into the classic rock stuff and i was the same way where i was like my your parents put you on that same with me and but then you start specifically getting into punk rock then which this might seem like weird now, like you talk about it, but there was this whole, like, you have to, you have to besmirch the name of what they were counter when <laughs> these bands start. So if you were into like sex pistols or like dead boys or like Ramones or whatever, that was like anti-classic rock music. Mm-hmm. So I, I do remember a time in my life where I was like, Oh yeah, I don't, I don't really like, I fuck with like Hendrix, but like that's it, you know. Yeah. But I love Led Zeppelin, you know, like what you're talking about. I love Zeppelin. I love all that stuff. And you you go through cycles. You do come back like in, in time and you're like, oh, all that shit rips. Why did I ever yeah. not think it didn't? Now, were you and your mom getting into that stuff? Were your parents musical at all? Like, oh, like yeah. did they play instruments? My mom, not so much. My mom was always, my mom has really good taste in music, in my opinion. She went to NYU in the early eighties and my mom like went to matinees at CB's and sick and like not to, you know, mom's a mom. So I think she gets a pass, but you know, she said things like, Oh yeah, I remember agnostic something in a band with, (laughs) with like black guys, but I don't remember like we've had that conversation before, but my mom was like an art kid, right? She was into Blondie and the police and stuff. So she she used to tell me, she was like, Oh, the, the hardcores we were afraid of, they were like homeless. Yeah. Like what my mom would say, you know, so obviously my mom wasn't like a punk rocker, but she was like an art kid in, at NYU. And, um, but she didn't play an instrument. My dad is like the music guy. My dad to this day is still, he, he records music at at home in his studio. And like my whole life growing up, he was a wedding singer. He was a bass playing wedding guy. He could do like the James Brown shit was his thing. He could do like the screech. He could play. Yeah, he could play. I mean, it's been his full time career like my entire life so he's you know he's uh super christian super pretty right wing uh and and you know we don't see eye to eye on a lot of stuff but one the like one thing my dad and i can always talk about is like paul mccartney or michael jackson and then like movies and tv he like his his christian blindfolds come off when it comes to like all art Sorry, I just punched the mic. And no, when, it comes to, when it comes to art, he's like, I don't care. I love the Sopranos. I love, you know, whatever. He can like, he can appreciate it for what it is. So he and I can kind of, that's like the only thing we get along with, really. Our fathers sound very similar. Yeah, really. <laughs> like, yeah. It, yeah, it's it, it, it's it's interesting. Like, it's like my dad became religious, like more so later in life. And he's, he's like a... Uh, not like a Trumper, but like, he's definitely like a Republican guy, you know? Yeah. And, uh, which, I mean, I, I never get into like political shit, like on, on this podcast or whatever, cause it, it's just the entire system is 
<laughs> like I, I won't get into it, but uh, <laughs> um, but you know, but when it comes to like movies, music, like art and stuff, same thing. You can have that kind of conversation. It's nice to have. It's nice to have that connection, and I. I suspect because of what, you know, you end up doing like thematically musically, like, and you know, not to like, like assume anything, but was there ever like, when you were growing up, was there ever like strife with him? You like talk about not seeing eye to eye, but I would imagine with kind of like what harm's way would be known to be about at times that there had to be some kind of seeds of dissent there. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it, I'm sure everybody kind of goes through it, especially if you're, if you have a, a, a parent who leans in either direction, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, when I realized that my dad was like, Oh, my dad believes all gay people are going to go to hell. Like that. My dad mm-hmm. believes that like, that's his thing. Like I like lost it. And there were periods yeah. of time where we didn't talk and I didn't go over. Um, because so my parents got divorced when I was, um, I was still months old. So like, Growing up, it was always once a week and every other weekend seeing my dad until I was 18. That was like the the agreement or whatever. Um, so, I mean, there would be times where when I was old enough, my parents were cool and they got along. So it was like, yeah, I'm not going over. Like I'm staying, I'm going to, I'm going to play guitar at, in the garage or whatever. Like I didn't want to go see my dad's cause we would only argue and it would always be about religion. It would always be about like, you know, all the, all the hot topic bullshit, the fucking abortion and gay rights. And, you know, and this is in the early two thousands when gay marriage wasn't a thing at all. And like, true. blah, blah, blah. And it just, it was, it drove me insane. I think, um, I think he's chilled out a bit now. I think actually my stepmom is kind of the more right leaning one, but regardless of that, I think they kind of, ironically speaking uh, a year to the day after the shit that happened a year ago, oh, that's I, right. think, that I think that was kind of a reality check for both of them, honestly, which like, I'm very happy to say. Oh, well, I, I think that, so I, I think what it's funny you bring that up. I think what occurred a year ago, because again, same thing, seeing like weird similarities between you and I, hmm. my parents divorced and I was like two. Yeah. I was on the same schedule. <laughs> um, yeah. Like it just like that. I do think that, uh, the last four, four years prior to 2020 and then Jan six, I think it was like a, like a wake up call for like a lot of people mm-hmm. in like a different regard where you, you see something on television and you're like, well, that's technically like, and I'm putting air quotes here, my team. Right. Uh, do I really want these people to be like, do I really want these people to be on my team? Or do I want to be on those people's team? You know, what have you. And I'm not saying that I probably like change people's like how they would vote or, or, or what have, or, you know, any direction, but it, it might get people to think like, Oh, like perhaps I should not be so gung ho about, you know, this position or person or candidate, you know, what have yeah. you, if this is the kind of stuff that they, they support. That's like associated um, with it, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you, you talked about like saying like, you would be like, I'm not going over and play guitar. When did you start playing guitar? So my dad, you know, being the, the musician guy, he gave me my first guitar when I was 10 for my 10th birthday. Um, it was a white, uh, Squire Strat that I'm actually going to be getting back um, my, I gave it to my first girlfriend for her to like learn how to play guitar when I was in high school and she kept it this whole time. And she just messaged me like a, a month ago. I was like, Hey, do you want this? 
like I'm cleaning up the parents' house, blah, blah, blah. And I said, hell yeah, I'm actually very excited to get that back. But that oh, was yeah. right around the time I was really into Blink-182. So a Strat <laughs> and everything, like it all worked out. And that's how I learned to do a lot of guitar stuff in the first place, you know? So 10 would have been the time. Okay. Okay. And like, and so like when you get it, are you just, are you, you reference like Screeching Weasel Blink-182? Like, is that the kind of stuff that you're trying to play or, or is there, or because of the kind of like classic rock background, are you like looking to, you know, like do some of the stuff your mom showed you? Yeah. I mean, you know, the Blink stuff was easy, you know, mm-hmm. it's all, it's all power chords. All punk rock is, is pretty rudimentary and pretty easy to play um, to an extent. It's not that easy to play really well, but it's easy to play to an extent. Whereas like fucking Black Dog by Led Zeppelin is tough for a 10 year old with little 10 year old hands to play on the guitar. So I would try to play some of that stuff. And like I I dedicated, man, probably a year, eh, maybe a summer to playing like all of Stairway to Heaven. I wanted to be able to play it, you know, and like I did it and it was fine. But like it didn't sound good. You know what I mean? Like I'm just, I'm not that, I, I learned very quickly that like, I wasn't that kind of player. I don't have that dexterity to be like beautiful and like soft. And, you know, I think, um, being comfortable and discovering that there's like, Hey, there's a genre of music for people who don't know what the fuck they're doing on their instrument. Like you're fine. That that was huge. That was, uh, I mean, listen to misfit songs are like the live misfits record. They don't know how to tune. It's like amazing. You know, it was huge for me. So what, you know, being that you were kind of like into like the pop punk stuff of the, of the jour of, of that, like that would have been like, uh, what, like 99, 98, yeah. 99, 2000, like right yeah, in there. Exactly. Um, what, you know, what was kind of like the, the next step for you in that time? Were you like, Oh, I want to go see this stuff. Or was it like, I want to kind of like dive deeper kind of like where, where, what branch did you kind of take? Yeah. That's, that's a good question. There's, there's two, um, two directions for it that both kind of intertwine. One was a Blink-182 like home video, like a fan video where it was like behind the scenes Blink stuff. Okay. And Tom rattles off like 20 bands that they were into. And me being who I was just wrote all these bands down and went to Best Buy or went to Hot Topic or went to whatever coconuts and like tried to find the no effects record and the, the misfits record, the minor threat record, whatever it was. Um, a big one for me, which is funny cause it was, it was not it's kind of weird to think about in, in hindsight, but anti-flag was huge. Oh, for me. they were big. They were really they big were, at the time though. They were very popular at the time. And one of them or two of them or whatever were straight edge. So that's when I found out about straight edge. That's right. And that for me was like literally crucial. I was like, Oh, wait a minute. There's like, you know, the reason my parents got divorced was because of substance abuse and stuff. And and my mom was still struggling with it at the time and blah, blah, blah. There's punks who won't be like that. Like I, I don't have to, I can be like cool. You know what I mean? Like being a young kid, like I don't want to be lame or whatever, but it was like, Oh, I can be punk and I can be like not destroying myself and I'm still like cool or whatever. Like, yeah. 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 So that was an immediate, you know, and then finding out about AFI and then my Mm. threat and just, Boom, you know, going from there. Sure. You know, it, it's funny. You remember the anti-flag thing. And what I always think about is I was, I'm like, oh, who's the guy who plays bass for anti-flag? Justin number two. 
That's right. I, I remember I it was it was like it was like a name with like a letter or something yeah. like that, you know, whatever. And I was like, oh, that guy's got ups. And I was just looking at a picture of you, and I was like, and I was just thought about that, and I was like, oh, it's like, dude, they both got the they both got the air. <laughs> yeah. They both got the fucking air. Um, but uh, yeah, okay, interesting. That's a really interesting place to find straight edge from because I completely forgot that they mm-hmm. had straight edge members. Um, yeah, I mean, like, like I'm, I'm sure, like that's like a rare case where like that's someone's entry point. But yeah, you go from there to AFI, yeah. also having members like that as well, and to like you know the Misfits because AFI were covering the Misfits, huge in the Misfits. Yep. And then it was like, who did the Misfits play with? And it was like, yo, the Misfits and SSD Control had like a legit relationship. Yep. So it was like the, the Misfits ended up being like the penultimate band for me. It was just That's like also the penultimate band for me. Yeah, exactly. It was just like, Oh, you got punk, you have pop, you have, you know, thrash shit. You have, you know, the, the vibe, the darkness or whatever, while still being down with like legit hard bands. Yep. That's fucking, I mean, that's, that's what I want my band to be. You know what I mean? Like that's exactly it. You know, their existence was such an interesting thing because if, if it's like weird. You look, they started earlier than the rest of the bands that they would get lumped in with mm-hmm. and nobody else they played with sounded like them at all. Mm-hmm. Not, not one. I mean, I guess it's just because of Glenn being the factor, but, he, but no, but even like, even sonically, there wasn't really like, it, it's like they were playing a show with like negative approach and Necros. They don't sound like either of those bands. Or playing with, I guess, SD or like, uh, I, I want to say they may have played with Minor Threat at some point too. Yeah. Um, and what's funny is those, all those shows that you just said are like in the eighties, you know, they started in 78, right? Exactly. And, yeah. and before they had Doyle in the band and when it was Frenchie and stuff, like they're playing Max's wearing mm-hmm. like weird spandexy shit. Like, oh, dude, their first inception so, year, dude. So weird and so wild. <laughs> and in my opinion, like very original. You know, like oh, just extremely. very, uh, I yeah. can't say enough about that. I could, I could do, yeah. yo, maybe, maybe do a Patreon. We just do a <laughs> deep dive on Misfits. I would be misfits. totally down. Um, if, if you are listening and you hear that idea and it sounds cool, tell me and we'll do it. Hmm. Um, but, uh, okay. So you're, you're getting into that. Are you, are you like, okay, I like need to make a band or is that like not in your head yet? It was kind of like. Man, that's a good question. I don't think I ever thought I was like the guy, you know what I mean? And like I said, like the guy to like have a band. And like I said earlier, like Chris is my fucking, he's my best friend. And he, and right away I like clung to him and it was like, oh, he has a drum set. Well, there we go. Like it was like immediate, like, okay, let's do this. And we were immediately playing AFI songs and anti-flag songs. And he always wanted to play other stuff because he was aware of like the real shit, but he had to get me to like learn how to play stuff. And it was, you know, kind of, I wasn't quite there yet. Um, and then we get, had a little band going with, with two other guys who went to our high school. And that was our first band. It was a band called double crossed. And we, we put out, a seven inch when I was 16, like when I was, we were still in high school. That's cool. Yeah. It was awesome. It was on lifeline who did like some modern life is war stuff. And Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So that was like our first thing. And, and basically like ever since I've just like hitched my wagon to Chris, you know, like he's just, I, he's just been my, uh, my guiding light through all of this stuff. Cause the guy is Shout out Chris. Yeah. <laughs> 
What, uh, so, I mean, at that point, I mean, so, we'll backtrack a little bit. I imagine if you're, like, making records and stuff at, like, 16, you've, like, been going to gigs and stuff. What was, like, your first show? First show was No Effects at the House of Blues in Chicago, which is, like, a pretty whack spot for a punk show. It was, like, No Effects, Mad Caddies, and Frenzel Rom. No, you know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like a, uh, an Australian band, but I was just like full in. I loved No Effects. I still think No Effects rocks. And so, you know, it was my first time like being in a pit, and they played like all the songs. They played the Bruise, you know, like the Oi song, and I was like all into it. And mm-hmm. and it was kind of from there where it was like, okay, let's see more of this. And I, and I even think like the next few shows afterwards were was like one of the Anti Flag, you know, Plea for Peace tours, and uh, we saw. AFI, cool. Uh, but all big venues, you know, like nothing, nothing too cool. And then uh, Chris was like, "Yo, this band American Nightmare is playing um, at the Metro. Like, we should go." And oh yeah, you grandma, would have been like right prime for that time period. Yeah, my yeah. grandma bought us tickets from Tower Records just because I asked her. <laughs> I and we Tower, went, yeah. and they were actually American Nothing at the time. That's right. They did right? the name change, sure. And um, you know. That was, uh, that had to be 2000, like, fuck. 2001, uh, maybe? 2002? Like, around then. It, it had to be, like, around then, because I'm, I'm thinking of, background music comes out in 2000. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's the second with, record? Love American? Christensen and, like, the and glass jaw or something was the tour okay, okay so they were definitely on there they're on like they're on the way to kind of like the the second lp well type. so here's the confusing thing is shortly thereafter we went to my dad drove me and chris to the fireside in chicago which is like the fireside is chicago's cbs like that's like the old punk venue that a million shows were at and it was uh american nightmare every time i die hope conspiracy suicide file and let's go yeah it was fucking <laughs> let's go. You know what I mean? it was just the kind of thing where like my dad was in the car the whole time you know like waiting <laughs> and, you know whatever but that was like the first that was my first hardcore show you know where it was like okay this is like this isn't people aren't drinking and people aren't like being punks or whatever like people are like here because this band fucking rocks and they're all into this band and that was like the first like oh okay th- i i can get into this like and how old were you when that happened i couldn't drive so 15 okay all right so yeah. so like, like right in there so so you've been kind of doing like 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 more like punker oriented things like capital p punk before that it, with knowledge of like hardcore like through the ages mm. and then you, this is the first time that that you're seeing it um like in a, in a setting like that like not like a giant venue setting right um so you, you, and you're already doing your band at the time too correct yeah we had our band but we had you know a really i don't think the seven inch was out yet i kind of went out of order yeah um but we had like a demo like a little burnt CDR, CDR. Demo, you know? mm-hmm. and uh, it was kind of whatever. And then we did the seven inch and we started playing like actual Chicago hardcore shows. Okay. Where we would okay. like open them. What, uh, like, had you played anything? What was the first show you played? It was at this place called the fishbowl coffee house in Roselle where Chris and I grew up. Um, and it was just like an open mic night, but I, I'm not even kidding you. Like small basement coffee house show. And there was a hundred kids there. 
Hell yeah. Because there was just like nothing else going on. And, and we were like fairly like, I don't know. Our high school was really strange. And it was just like, oh, the skaters. Yeah, they're cool with everybody. So like a bunch of people came and there was like a push pit and like they were pissed. And it was like a, a to do, you know, this is such a phenom- this is a phenomenon that I'm not even really 100 percent certain occurs in the frequency that it used to mm. that what you just described I feel like was happening like all the time when I was about that age for me, like a, like a couple years later, yeah. like playing some coffee shop where like a ton of high school kids come. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's like that exact, like, I think like around the same time period, I was playing like comic book stores, Yeah, like same vibe, a bunch of like high school, like nobody cares about the bands really. It's more yeah, just right. like, Right. Oh, we know that bands are playing. So we're going, you know, and for whatever thing. reason, just a ton of people turned up like yep. way, like more, more people showed up to there than a lot of shows I've played as an adult. <laughs> you exactly. know what I mean? Like, yes. it was like fucking weird. I, even to this day, it's strange. Yeah. Um, so you guys do that. Also, what was double cross? Like, like what was kind of like the, oh, the Sonic? We were, we were a straight youth crew band. Like Hell yeah. we, oh, yes. <laughs> we, me, Chris and James are like super into youth crew. We always have been, even mm-hmm. when, I, when we first met James was at a stand and fight show in Chicago. Oh yeah. Well, okay. All yeah. right. And James was introduced to us as youth crew, James. And for like probably yes. 10 years in my phone that he was YC James. Um, we were obsessed with you crew and we figured like, Hey, we're kids. We would cover chain strength and we would cover 10 yard fight. And we would cover fucking, you know, Gorilla Biscuits and just like mm-hmm. what, whatever we the, would cover, like the anything. Best of the we best. Could, yeah, all all the good shit, dude. We would cover Wide Awake, Turning Point. Oh, like we, we, we would do Last Raw, of course. Hell yeah, <laughs> course. hell yeah. But you Let's know, go. we were we were just obsessed with that. It was like okay, that that can be our thing, and like everyone in Chicago was super fucking cool and super like welcoming of us. I think like, you know, it's kind of novel to see a bunch of kids who get dropped off by their parents, like play a gig and cover hardcore pride. You know what I mean? Oh like, yeah. It's like, fucking that's like, cool. Yeah, exactly. So, um, the first Chicago hardcore show that we played was a show that Chris booked. He was 16 or 17 at a park district where we grew up. And I got my license that day. And drove to the show, which was like a big deal for me, you know. And uh, we played with Plan of Attack, who were from Chicago, a band called yep. Sidewalk, who was from Chicago, uh, a band called Too Sweet, it was like a pop punk band, and a few others that I can't remember. And then we opened it, and again, we played, we covered Chain of Strength and um, Ten Yard Fight. And people, I remember it was in a gym, and there was like the dividing curtain, and people like walked around the curtain to be like, Oh shit, it's 10 yard fight, you know, kind of a thing. Oh yeah. So it was yeah. just like, it was just a really cool thing. And it was, from there on, we were getting invited to play and like sidewalk was like a huge deal. And plan plan of attack was a big deal in Chicago. Uh, I definitely sure. remember seeing that those records in stores. Yeah. Like yeah. I've like, I've like been to like vinyl conflict and been like, Oh, like I've seen this like, um, or I, or I like seen like multiple records of theirs. I, I think, um, so you, you know, I mean, like this sounds awesome. You're, you know, getting to play like cool shows, you know, people sound like they're into it. You got like records and you're all like, you know, like still in high school. How long was double cross the band? Um, not, I mean, 
like for real, not very long, maybe like two years. Okay. On like, I, I consider like that band becoming real when we started playing like in Chicago shows because everything else was just kind of like figuring out what to do, you know. But we played, yeah. you know, we played, uh, we played the last hardcore show at the Fireside with uh, Comeback Kid, Allegiance, and Champion was supposed to play, but they dropped. Mm. That was the last hardcore show that ever happened there. So we, I got to play, you know, the venue, which is like I, I legitimately like hold near and dear. Hell and yeah. We played out of state a bit. We played, uh, we played Chicago and Kansas City with Mental Injustice. Fucking sick. Okay. Fucking, you know, it was right around then. It was right around the locking out shit. <laughs> yeah. And like 05 ish. Yeah. And yeah. No, still 03, 04. Yeah. Right around there. Exactly. 03, 04, 05. Mm-hmm. I, I graduated in 06. Okay. Um, so right. that was, you know, that was it. And, and that band. We played our last show in, in Chicago and, and the two guys, Brad and Kyle were the other guys in the band, like kind of keep up with, but you know, not, not super close. And then Chris and I continued doing music. And by the end of double crossed, a band called few and the proud was already started. And that was okay. our introduction to John caution, who eventually sang for nachos yep. and James. And then this guy, Bernie, who had sang for a band called hostage situation that they were all in prior. That was like almost their double crossed. So what was the, so the few and the proud, like what was kind of, how did that come together? And like, what was sort of like the mission statement there? Uh, literally nothing but straight edge and like New York hardcore. Like that was it. Like okay. literally every song was about straight edge. Mm-hmm. And you know, this was, I think the demo was Oh five and we wanted to rip off outburst and break down like only fucking sick. And it was sick. And it was, yeah. you know, it was before bands, you know, not obviously like things come in waves. Like it was before that was really very popular. Oh dude, time, people were not doing like Oh five Oh six is like, so I consider locking out the people that were doing that, but that is slowly phasing out slowly phasing out towards like, cause mental breaks up in '08, and righteous James kind of fades kind of stops doing stuff around the same time. I want to say, um, though, but those are the only people that were, I feel were doing like the outburst breakdown, exactly, like because- thing, and nobody else is. And everything else was getting more and more um, either faster or heavier, you know? So it was like outbreak or terror. Or like, you know, that like, was like when like the melodic shit started happening too. Oh, yeah. Fuck. And that, that, like that realm as well. So it's like, yeah, everything is exactly, they're either going, you're either doing the outbreak or like the trash talk or the ceremony yes. type thing. Yes. Or you're doing heavier, like, like terror was or, or the, uh, the melodic thing. So yeah, yeah, going for what you guys are going for was definitely not. Yeah. Not what was kind of the deal. So Few and the Proud was like uh, pretty cool. We did a couple, like two East Coast tours ever. We played uh, Nora Sushi in Richmond. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Damn, what, what year did you play Nora? I was out of high school. So probably the summer of 06 or the summer of 07. If it was yeah. summer of 07, there is a there is a possibility that I was there. <laughs> um, there you go. Do you remember who you played with at all? I don't remember. I know Yancey was there. Like I like I yeah, know there were people the there who, like we knew, <laughs> you know, and who James yeah. knew, but not I don't remember any of the bands on the shows. Those like, what a weird place to play. Yeah, we got all you could eat sushi it was fucking right. Yeah, you did get that. That part was cool. <laughs> Have you ever heard the story about the, the riot that happened there? <laughs> no. All right, I'll, I'll be quick about it. Uh, there was a title fight show 
And an interesting show for this to happen at. Um, but basically the problem was that, and it's not terribly long after this time period, it had to have been like, Oh, seven, Oh eight. Um, uh, the, maybe it's Oh nine, but what basically ended up happening was that that was a 21 and up venue. And at the time in Richmond, there was nowhere else to like the, like RCB's type place had closed Mm -hmm. and the only other clubs you could play were very big. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't like a good spot to play. That was the only like smaller club club quote uh, that you could do anything at. But and like a lot of title fight fans at the time were high schoolers. Yeah. Of um, course. So they can't get into the show. People are like passing around like IDs, like pretending to be like other people, you know, whatever <laughs> it's like the, that place also was way too small for like that show or whatever. And like, I don't know. It's, it's like, some there was like a like a like a like a door guy that was like really shitty to somebody and that resulted in like some stuff outside yeah like somebody shuts the power off and to get the show to stop and then it just erupted into like it was like it was like movie style like people were like handcuffs outside like on the (laughs) sidewalk like people were like running away from police and like spitting at them and it was like, and like you, like if I describe the show without saying what band was playing, you're like, oh, like I don't know, like oh, oh hundred yeah, right. yeah, exactly. It's like no, nah, it's title fight. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but so that that happened at that spot. But uh, yeah, okay. So Few and Proud hits a couple of East Coast tours. Yeah, it's um, super short. We did one demo and then one full length, which was like a terrible jump and like couldn't really keep people's attention for a full length. And the band just kind of started to fizzle out, and like they do. Um, but really what was happening, and this was like a very important time, two things happened over like one summer. A friend of mine who eventually killed himself a couple years later, which went on, I, I bring that up because it went on to be a subject matter for another band that we that was forming at this time. Right. Um, he handed me a CD, a burn CD that was Age of Quarrel and Master Killer. I was yeah. full on obsessed with youth crew only. I knew every youth crew band from the 80s, like all of them. I knew all the lyrics. Do you remember truechildeath.net? Of course I remember truechildeath.net. So I would go on there, I would look up every fucking band and every record, and then go on Soulseek, go to the Bridge Nine fucking board uh, room, and download every youth crew record I could find. And every every band that sounded like it, like the, the 90s kind of revival shit, like everything. I was, I was fucking obsessed. It's all I cared about. And then I heard Age of Quarrel, and I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like, don't tread on me has it. Wait a minute. This is the youth crew part. What is this? Like, you know, like I, I like something clicked and then I listened to the hell out of that and went to the next record and, and heard master killer. And it was like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. There's, there's no like, um, reason why it clicked, but it just clicked in my head. Those and, are two like perfect records. Um, yeah. And what, this is so fascinating to me that you were acquainted with youth crew stuff prior to like Age of Quarrel. Yeah. Which, again, like, you know, it, it, it all comes down to what people show you and like what you can like, like it, it, it's, it really is like back then it wasn't like, uh, and I talk about this on here for of people of a certain age, it wasn't like you could just go online and the stuff was like a hundred percent presented to you. It was really like you are 
trying to think of like a good, a good way to like explain the analogy, but it was kind of like, you're opening a door to a room with more doors and you don't really know what's behind any of them. And so you try another one out and then you, yeah. And you find something else, you know, whatever. Um, that's so interesting. And it's interesting to hear that you were acquainted with the youth crew stuff, but then heard Age of Quarrel and heard the youth crew parts on that. Because that's most likely where a lot of those bands pulled concepts from as well, it, even if by accident. And uh, a, big thing, a big thing about it too um, that I, we, we've kind of skipped was I also got really into early Boston hardcore, all the early okay. straight edge bands. I, yeah. Like I was obsessed with, I thought last rights was the coolest fucking thing that ever existed. It still it, is. It, I mean, potentially you know. is. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was really into that. So there's like, there's an edge to that, that the youth crew shit didn't really have. Right. Especially right. like instead and turning point in later turning point wasn't like, like quite as aggressive, mm-hmm. you know, like can't close my eyes was, and, and then because of what was around at the time was like mental, like you said, and like the current locking out bands were like a little bit more fun, you know, yeah, like Righteous it was, Jams was, yeah. was like Bouncy, more fun than you know. like the angry thing. So like when I heard Age of Quarrel, it was a combination of like, oh, this is like hard punk rock and like the catchy shit that I love about youth crew. And they were really surviving on the streets. Like, yes. and it's like it's all real, shit. real, it's real shit. So yes. it was just like an immediate, like love full on connection with that record. And so, yeah. in the same way, master killer showed me that like heavy music was okay. Heavy music mm-hmm. is good. And like these guys would be just as comfortable playing with the Cro-Mags in the nineties. Like that is that, that happened. You know, like oh, that's yeah. whatever. So once all these, these like connections were made for young, you know, 17 year old me at this time, it was like a whole, the hallway of doors was opened. Like that's when I discovered all heavy hardcore. So yeah. What, where were you, what was the next step? Like, where was the next place that you kind of like went after like age of quarrel and, and master killer? Let's see me, James and Chris got obsessed with Marauder all around the same time. Uh, mm. Probably integrity. Oh, integrity yeah. was was pretty huge, and in oh, Chicago yeah. there was organized crime records. Organized mm-hmm. crime records uh, put out the first Harm's Way LP, put out um, some of the killer stuff, and put out uh, integrity stuff. But that perfectly brings me to the most important band in Chicago hardcore is the Killer. There would be. No heavy hardcore that is like how it is today if it were not for the killer. If it wasn't for the killer putting out the demo, the EP, and the fucking first LP over the one summer, I think it was 05 or 06, I can't remember. It was it was it was the same thing as that uh, Age of Coral Master Killer CD was. It was like a, a looking glass where like everything shifted. When I was like, wait a minute these guys will play with the bands that I know. And they like, they know about like minor threat, but they're also like, like into heavy music, kind of like Led Zeppelin and Metallica, who I really liked in high school too. Like I was like, wait, you know, it was like a, wait a minute. And I just can't, I cannot put, (laughs) I cannot put the killer over more like, or as much as they deserve. Like it was hands down, instrumental in the development of heavy hardcore in Chicago. 
I mean, that's the thing is when I think of like flagship, I, I you know, there's flagship bands for cities or scenes yeah. and the killer is for sure. Like, like one of the ones that I think of historically for Chicago, um, you know, I, I didn't become acquainted with them until much later. Cause when did they, when did the killer stop playing? Yeah, they took like a hiatus. Um, let's see. Andrew moved in like 2013 or 14 is when they stopped for a while. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Did they play out a lot? Like, like they exactly. I think that they were almost like, not like, I won't call them like a Chicago secret, hmm. but like, I, I didn't like, I think, okay. All right. So I'm I not wrong on that. No, because I would like on the East coast did not really know about them, especially we're talking about 20, the early 2010s is when you start getting a lot more accessible mm-hmm. in regards to like being able to find music through like streaming services or, or and like the internet is just a lot more bloated at that point. So finding things is a lot easier, but if they started in the mid two thousands and just like we talked about, someone did not show them to me. Or yeah. they did not play the city I lived in. It's like you don't, you didn't know about that band. Maybe you know no. like that, that could apply to the killer. That could apply to a lot of other stuff. They for uh, sure flew under the radar for a lot of people. Like it's crazy because I, they would be the first ones to say that, like hands down. Um, but I think what matters most about that band is like a perfect example. Double crossed our first band. We played a hardcore Halloween in St. Louis. Um, yep. And again, we couldn't drive yet. So one of our dads drove us down. We got there kind of late, which was kind of turned into our thing being like irresponsible late kids. And we had to like set up merch somewhere. And the only spot available was next to the killer. And we didn't know them yet. And like, we're literal kids and they are literal scary men, you know? And it was literally like, Hey, would you mind if, and Luke was immediately like, yeah, move this fucking shit. No problem. And like, got us a spot and was immediately like, Oh, you guys are from Chicago. And like immediate, just like, ah, very cool. you know, like, Hell yeah. And, and there was, there was never once, even a second of like, who the fuck are these kids ever? That's so ever. sick. That's how some people should be. And absolutely. And like, what's, what is more impressionable on a kid too? Like just complete open arms. Like, yes, come on, check this out. And to this day, like Luke is one of my favorite people to see. And the killer is one of my favorite bands to see. And, and their impact um, for us is it, it can't be overstated. And I think they're also having kind of like a, like, like a cultural renaissance of sort where like there are people that like are because they're playing shows, mm-hmm. you know, now and stuff and people are and like, you know, people are seeing like, you know, videos or like hearing with them, whatever, and being like, Oh shit, this sounds like a, this sounds like a, a proto version or like a, like a version of a lot of stuff that's happening right now. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, listen, you know, uh, PSA, listen to the killer, please listen um, to the killer. But, uh, so, you know, you were here, you were like encountering this heavy stuff kind of like post high school. Um, and I'll, and, and I'll, I'll divert for like one moment before kind of before we continue on the path, what, you know, you're done with school. What was kind of like, are you just being like, I just want to play in bands or did you have other kind of like sites set on doing other things? Yeah. So, you know, growing up, it was me and my mom, like the whole time, like I said, I saw my dad, like, like you did, um, my mom wanted me to be like the first generation to go to college. You know, she wanted me to, to like go to school. It's the only thing I care about. Like my mom was super fucking cool growing up. I didn't have a curfew. I could swear she knew I wasn't drinking and doing stuff. And it was like legit. My mom 
like bless her soul she was sometimes she was working three jobs and i just didn't want to give her a hard time you know what i mean like i really wanted to make my mom's life easy because i knew that would make my life easy and that's what it was and i never got in trouble i didn't get you know i wasn't a problem in school or arrested or anything it was a little little angel at the time and uh i just didn't know what i wanted to do and the prospects of like i was like yeah i'm into history and yeah i could teach and that maybe and but all the hoops and everything and like the money we didn't have the money like like what i i so i went to community college for two years which i'm not uh bashing community college because chris actually did as well and he um a couple years ago got his master's degree in sociology so you can absolutely start yeah yeah yeah, absolutely and and you know if you have a drive and a grind like chris absolutely does you could for sure do it it just wasn't really my prerogative at the time i wanted to work i wanted to move out i wanted to like do my own thing you know i wanted i really i just wanted to work i just wanted to like get going and make some money and move into the city. I knew I wanted to live in Chicago. So yeah, I went to a year and a half. Yeah. I think three semesters of community college lived with my mom for a little bit. And then I moved into, uh, the fireside house, the house across the street from the fireside that a bunch of other hardcore dudes lived at. Oh, cool. 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 Okay. So yeah, I was just curious, like what the, like, you know, kind of like what the trajectory was there. Um, oh, cause like, it, like, you know, kind of setting the scene. Cause it's like, obviously there's going to come a time period where you're like, on the road a lot yeah and it's going to be like kind of like what you know like kind of what's the setup how does that work um so you you know you're there you're discovering age coral marauder the killer you know are you like i need to drop everything i'm doing and make this music or like kind of like where's your head at okay so this is good um so few and the proud was was doing our thing and um while we would practice our singer, this guy, Bernie, he, uh, he lives in Japan now. And I've, so I've only seen him once cause we've only been to Japan once. And he moved like over a decade ago now. And, um, he was always fucking late. Like he would never show up to practices and he didn't say like, don't practice without me, but he really wanted to wait for us to well, us to wait for him to get there. So that if like something popped into his head, blah, blah, blah. So while we were waiting, we were like, yo, we should like switch instruments and James should sing and we should make like a power violence band because we were all into Infest. Because again, Infest had a little bit of a youth crew crossover. So there was like an immediate hook for me. It did, and, yeah. And into Charles Bronson and, and you know, Crossed Out and all that kind of stuff. And so that was how Harm's Way started. It was like, yeah, James should sing. Everything should be about 30 seconds long and be about straight edge and... Chris played drums and John switched to bass and I still played guitar. And that's how Harm's Way started. And we like really quickly made a really shitty demo and it was just going to be a band that like sometimes played, you know? And that's, that's kind of how that started and like started on a really slow path, like as slow as possible. The demo came out in 06 and we, we put out, we put out like the first thing that most people know from us would be maybe no gods or then isolation was 2010, 2011. So like years. I I remember the harm's way, like power violence. Yeah. Um, that was my first introduction to you guys. Um, I saw, you know, I I remember we're talking about bridge nine board. Yeah. I remember seeing a picture of y'all, um, I, you, you see James ski mask, yeah, X'd up, and I was like, 
there's a lot of things going on here that are checking <laughs> boxes for me. So this is cool. Um, what was interesting is that y'all were for sure like lumped in with like the power violence, obviously being a power violence band at the time, or lumped in with kind of the power violence world, which was like pretty separate from like at least where around where I was, it was pretty separate from like the hardcore world. Um, and it's like you're, you're nodding, like so you know what I'm talking about, like because I remember. It's funny, the first people that I would like play with that would like reference you guys were like Coke Bust and Sick Fix. That, that was our first tour. So Coke there you Bust go. And, and Sick Fix. I played with, I remember playing with Sick Fix and talking to the um, the lady that sang for them. And I was like, oh, like, I, I y'all came up and I was like, oh, yeah, they got that guy. They got the big guy. And like, you know, like, you know, like in the band, she's like, oh yeah, he like eats whole chickens, like, she was like, you know, like and, uh, and, and everything. And it's just, it was, it was so interesting about this is that if I were to like, if I was a time traveler and I took a uh, post human and went back in time and showed people that were into harm's way, I'd be yeah. like, this is what they sound like in 2022. They'd be like, yo, what <laughs> like, like, it's like such a like a departure um sonically so but i do remember power yeah. violence harm's way for that, sure that was my introduction that picture that you saw that uh, it sounds funny to say but again this is before mobile social media right everyone was on myspace facebook wasn't even really a thing at the time no you oh you had to be like in college and it was yeah, like you had to be yet. you had to have a college email address to have a face exactly yeah um that was at FYA Fest 2007 into 2008. It was like over the new year. Wait, FYA? No. No, no, I'm sorry. Uh, this, this is, is for, for you? Yes. Yeah, there you go. All that's right. what I meant. Um, and that's that's where we played. And Power Violence Harm's Way opened with Punishment by Biohazard. Like, we didn't Hell make yeah. any sense. Hell yeah. You know? <laughs> and we just kind of did our thing. We played some fucking house with rats running through it in richmond and then yancey took us to buffalo wild wings around the corner yeah that's cool that sounds really <laughs> accurate okay let's see rats all right buffalo wild wings that would have been in the bottom uh you probably there's like a neighborhood that was like way cheap to yeah, live in it was like back a half basement like halfway underground kind of yeah. Oh, y'all would have played in Oregon Hill. Never mind. You would have played in Oregon Hill, probably at this place called the Bone Zone. Or <laughs> th there was that was a wild neighborhood. Every other house was a venue. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I played with um you were in the Power Bonds War at the time. Do you remember the band Juice Time? Dude, they were on our tour. Okay, so yeah, I played with Juice Time yeah. in that neighborhood, probably at the same house, <laughs> like right around the same time period. Dude, I okay, know, so gotcha. I'm like a, I'm a sentimental shirt guy. Like I don't really yeah. throw away shirts or sell them or anything. I still have a Juice Time shirt. Juice Time, yeah, I'm the same way. I don't really, I have back in Richmond. I have like all the Tupperwares full of, of shirts that I'm just not gonna get rid of. Yeah. Um, but okay, so you know, you know what's good with juice time. <laughs> yeah, okay. I know about juice time. <laughs> uh, for those that are going to try to find juice time when we're talking about it, it's J U I C E. Time is spelled T Y M E. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I can't believe I'm talking about juice time. It's great. But okay, so you, so you 
guys, you know, well, you said you guys are only going to do this some of the time. Right. How did this become yeah. the main so, deal? So uh, Few and the Proud eventually dissolved. Bernie moved to um, Bernie moved to Japan to be a teacher. And John, who caution, who was our drummer, um, mm. wasn't really digging the direction we were going in like a heavier, like more of like a, a 90s hardcore direction, like more like um, damnation. Like we, we were all oh, getting into damnation AD and, um, and integrity and stuff like that. John wasn't really feeling it. And he had started nachos at the time. So he was just like, I'm just going to, you know, focus on nachos. Like, and it was all amicable. It was fine. And we had drew playing drums for us in this band that eventually turned into a band called convicted. And we oh, had, okay. we had Charlie sing for convicted who I lived with at the fireside house. So it's all like weaved in. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think there was like a period of like, it was like 2009 to maybe 2000. Cause we played, what was the United blood that, uh, like rise and fall converge and the Chromax, like the good Chromax set. That was 2009. Okay. So convicted played that United blood. Oh, cool. So that's, that's when we were around and harm's was around at the same time. But like, again, different, different worlds like you said very separate like different world for sure yeah so we would never really play the same shows and we did one tour together um which is insane to think about only doing one tour together but charlie couldn't do it so like the three of us who could switch off instruments would sing and we did a whole tour and we played with like we met the guys in down presser we met the guys in creatures and all these guys went on to be our friends later on it's it's like a funny you know, thing we met the bitter end guys and just like it was like a full West Coast run, like our first big tour. And convicted didn't do very well, except for in Salt Lake City, which is really funny because it was yeah. we were only about straight edge and not about God, but Harm's Way was all on the anti God shit. So in yeah. Salt Lake City, it was like, um I can't do the pentagram, but I could do the straight edge shit. Yeah, they could definitely do that there. So yeah, so convicted didn't do so great. Harm's way started to do better and better. And it was just kind of the thing where it was like I think I think the other guys unfortunately could tell that we were like a little bit more excited about um, the harm's way stuff, which like now that the air is very clear 10 years later or whatever, it's fine to say. And like Drew is a very good friend of mine to this day and Charlie and everyone are fine. But like, you know, uh, it kind of sucked at the time because like we could really only all of us were working, all of us were doing whatever girlfriends. We could only really like dedicate like enough energy to full on do this one band that was gaining steam. Right? That makes sense though. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's like sometimes you gotta like, not to like, it's like you gotta do what works. And if, if people are into the thing, you're not, you know, like on a technicality, you're not going to kind of like let that one go to the wayside. If that ends up being the thing that people care about. So convicted, here's a nice, we can wrap up convicted with like a beautiful poetic irony. Uh, one of the last songs on the convicted seven inch, uh, was the date of our friend Dave who killed himself, which is the third of January. So it actually just passed and it was 15 years ago. It's 2007. And it was, so it was one, three Oh seven was the name of the song. Dave is the guy who gave me the Chromex Marauder CD. Crazy. That was like life changing. The last convicted show was at in Chicago at the subterranean. Chromags, Marauder, Death Threat, The Killer, Left Hand Path, Convicted. And that was our last So sick. What a gig. Fucking hell, man. So just crazy, like, circular, you know, whatever. Full circle, dude. I do like the poetry in that. Yeah, there's there's something there. And so then it was like, okay, Harm's Way is like, 
the full on that would have been 2000 I think 11 or 2012 okay. maybe 10 or 11 because it was after the United Blood so and that's when it was like full on harm's way from that point on so you're doing that then how many records has harm's way done at that point we did imprisoned was a seven inch and then we did like a self-titled seven inch with two songs on it okay which we really really liked um and it was a bit more like bolt throwery right it was kind of more oh. that that's where bolt thrower was a big connection bolt thrower and sepultura were two bands where okay. it was like sure okay this is a, a like a, a direction for us you know and um so by 2011's when isolation came out so that means we had four releases out but only one lp mm. okay all right so approaches which is kind of whatever uh oh i remember reality approaches uh warriors will rain was yeah. on that one yeah, yes yes yes, yes. <laughs> and i and, well so here's the thing that record though is i feel like kind of like uh because if you had gone from imprisoned to isolation i think people would have been like bro what like Absolutely. even even there I, there were the, the records in between were like good kind of like we're showing you where we're going we're showing you that we're like going down a certain path a little bit and we go a little bit farther down the path each time we release something when did no gods no masters come out that would have been 2010 okay so that's again right before that as well um so you know like you're showing people it's like okay there's like you know no guys or masters is distinctly heavy but so by by that point people are like okay we we know this band's like going like heavy mode for sure isolation comes out huge like i remember that era distinctly Mm. um because just you know like everybody i knew was super into it um this is your first record on closed casket this is our so no gods came out on closed casket okay so how did y'all gotten linked okay how had y'all gotten linked up with them um, you know, it was kind of a, I had mentioned organized crime in Chicago before. Um, it was just kind of a matter of like looking for something that could possibly get us more exposure than a, a record label that was like solely based in Chicago that people mm-hmm. didn't really know about. And which is funny to say, cause at the time, and I think, you know, I'm not <laughs> no shade to Justin. I think Justin would agree with me at the time. I don't think people really were too aware of close casket. And we played, it was the uh, Sound and Fury 2012, the year of the motorcycle. Ah, yes. we, we met Justin from Close Casket and we just talked to him. And it was just Wait, like- Wait, in 12? 2012, yeah, because we went to Australia but, right after. But if uh, but Isolation came out in- Oh yeah, wait a minute, 2009, I'm sorry, 2009. That was why I'd be like, bro, there's no way, yeah. I'm conflating two different years of Sound and Fury, 2009. Yeah, okay. All right, so you meet you meet him at, and and you meet him at Sound of Fury in two thousand nine. Yes, two thousand nine. That was the okay. year of the motorcycle, and yes. we um, we just kind of talked to him, and it was just kind of like, oh, this guy like he wants like if anybody who knows like Closed Casket's uh, release schedule or like all the bands they've worked with, like Justin has a crazy drive and a crazy ambition for being a one more or less a one man operation, and at the time, definitely a one man operation. And it was apparent the moment it happened, like we met him, it was like, this guy, like he cares about how the, the, the vinyl looks. He cares about how like we want the gloss to be on the insert. He cares about how like 
like what the write-ups are going to be. He cares about like all the shit that is like, Oh, I guess that is important to care about. You know what I mean? Like he, he was really, really into it. So there was just a record man. Yeah. yeah, He's he's a record guy. He wants to produce a product that is attractive. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that was pretty much it. And then, so that was no gods. We put that out with him. And then, um, and that was like, yeah, like you said, it was like, okay, this is heavier. And, and it was pretty well received. And we did our first European tour with Rise and Fall and Nails. And that's when I met like Taylor. Um, and we had already met Rise and Fall. We did a small tour with them in the States and we love those guys. But that's when I met Taylor. And that's like a big connection for us too. And obviously Todd and John and everybody from the Nails camp. And oh, yeah. uh, we, we did the Euro thing. And it was like, oh, holy shit. Like, we did it, you know, like I never would have thought the band that started because our other singer couldn't make it went to Europe even one time, you know, like it's fucking crazy. And then isolation came out. And like, what's funny is at the time, like when we put it out, we had another guy playing bass with us, this guy, Dave, and then our friend Saba, who was in like bad seed and you oh, know, yeah. all the, the, the Pennsylvania bands, like, uh -huh. and eventually nails was like, um, he was in the band and he's credited on isolation and, and he didn't play one note on that fucker, which he, he knows. It's just like, it's yeah. almost like a funny thing. It's just how it happened. But, um, you know, we kind of like made all these connections and we were writing this record. And, and I, I remember when we were putting it out, I was thinking like, yeah, we'll see, man. I don't know. Like I, I was, I was very unsure because like you said, I thought it was going to be really um, kind of out of left field for people too. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that like, you know, it, it, what, it, what I'm hearing is this, I'm hearing based on you telling me about your connection to Closed Casket and all these things that are happening, that it's kind of like a, a, the stars aligned in a particular way that made things work. You're talking about Justin doing Closed Casket. And at the time, it's like, they're not as they're not what they are now. You know, it, it's like nobody really nobody really knew you have an individual with a lot of drive that's like into a particular sound mm -hmm. and he's like you know like i want to put out bands that have this that have this heavier sound um could could work could not you right. know could yeah. you know like you don't know and you are you have changed the vibe of a band that you've kind of been operating in a different world with mm -hmm. and you're like people could rock with it people could mm -hmm. also be like i like them when they sounded different right you know there's, there's a lot of like like risk taking here going on and it paid off like, you know because like, i remember like that i remember that record comes out and it really bumped y'all up into like a different you know into like a different world um and uh and the, man there's there's a there's a, you it's interesting harm's way has existed in my opinion in many worlds at this mm -hmm. point um and uh you know, so, and I, th I think this is just kind of your, the, 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 the full step into another one at that point. Yeah. So definitely. this comes out and kind of like, what do you remember from the time period is, is like, you know, like kind of what, how did you feel about things after that record came out? Um, I remember meeting a lot of people and it being kind of overwhelming and doing like, um, shit, I think it was 2000. I, I don't think isolation was out yet, but we did a tour with backtrack and foundation 
and it was a full U.S. It started at Rainfest and outside of Seattle, and like went all the way down. And that's when I met all the people who are still my friends to this day, including the Backtrack guys. And dude, Backtrack had five roadies. They had little yeah, Aaron, they had like Sealy, they had yep. uh, you know uh, fucking Big Brett. Like they had a million people with God them. Damn, and then, shout out Big Brett. Yeah, and that foundation <laughs> had everybody. And that's, we met these guys and they were all our age. They were mostly straight edge. Like there's a mm-hmm. couple people who weren't, and that's it. Out of this whole group of guys who were like all our age, we all love Marauder. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it was just like a, immediately we clicked and we, we like did this whole tour together and it was great. And then later on after isolation came out, we, we did a tour where we opened for, it was the Acacia strain terror straight from the path and us. Now, obviously, we had been terror fans. This yeah. was in the fall of 2011. Okay. And we had been terror fans forever and still am. I think they're probably the most important modern hardcore band. That would be my vote. And um, so touring with them was great. Getting to know them was great. I'm a huge fucking, I'm like a huge carry on guy. I'm a huge no warning guy. Talking Same, to Jordan bro, about no, yeah, talking yeah. to Jordan about no warning shit was like blowing my mind. Yeah, um, meet, like meeting the stray guys was awesome, and, and meeting the Casey Strain was awesome. And Vincent was like, again, super welcoming. Hey, that was our first. I hear he's really cool. First big tour, right? Mm-hmm. That was our first like. Oh, there's like a load in time. There's a tour manager. There's like you have to do all this shit according to the schedule. It was like when we really learned how to do stuff. And, um, it was overwhelming and, um, it was kind of, it was kind of, um, eye opening to the like, Hey, like if you want to do this and kind of maybe make a living out of it, like there's some ugly parts, not ugly, but just like, oh, money. Oh, yeah. driving. Oh, like, yeah. ugh, like it becomes a job. Exactly. You know? So not like ugly, like, oh, people were bad. Not like that at all. But just like, oh, I, we have to worry about merch running out. Like, what? Like, that's a great problem to have. But it's also like, well, what the fuck? What do we do? What do I do now? Yeah, we haven't yeah. worried about it yet, you know? So, yeah. So you, you're getting a, a taste of like the real, like the real deal of the professional side of things. Getting a taste um, of what the next like 10 years was going to be. Yeah. And, yeah. And Cause, cause this of, is where you end up going. Yeah. And kind of knowing that. Right. So that's kind of the thing where we're like, man, like I was, on, I was unemployed. Like I was literally on unemployment and like, depending on the band. And I was like, wow, this is, this could last us. And it's fucking hard. Like I don't have a dollar. You know what I mean? Like this is fucking brutal. So it was yeah, very, it's, it's like, either like this works or like, or I'm fuck. getting a desk job. Yeah. Like, like yeah. I didn't have any skills or whatever. So you, you, you know, you end up doing like, you know, you, you do that tour, you're meeting all these people, you're, you're getting a glimpse into what would kind of be the future. You know, a lot of bands could have operated the level you were at at the time and made it work. Hmm. been fine but but y'all y'all like y'all had ambitions at, at least from an observational standpoint because it, it, it appeared that you guys were being like okay if we're gonna make this what we do we're gonna you know be real deal about it you know once you're kind of in the lay of the land you're popular people are rocking out you know to like isolation and stuff what was you know you've played europe what was next next was um 
growth from closed casket, which, which like I mean in the absolute, like most respectful way possible. Right. Um, it wasn't like, Oh, we're done with Justin. It was like, okay, what has Justin helped us achieve? You know? Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, how can we go from there? And, and Chris sent an email to, um, to fucking Jake at, at death wish. And it was like kind of the next step. And that's, right. uh, that's, right. that's, okay. that's when we put out the blinded EP on death wish. And then eventually uh, the follow up EP to isolation or LP rather, um, rust, which rust was comes out 2013 and 2015. Yeah. Okay, so I remember Blinded had like the bluish cover, yep, I yeah. want to say. Yep, 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 yep. yep. Florian okay. drew that. Guy who did a, a ton of cool uh, European stuff and Rise and Fall stuff. We were very okay. proud of that at the time. Yep. Yeah, no, I mean, of course, you needed another full circle scenario of a band that you had like done stuff with and, you know, kind of, kind of getting to get from the same well as them. Rust is a, another sonic step. Now, I would not say that it is fully into a completely different world, but it, it Rust incorporates things that were, you know, like not typical for a hardcore band. Where, you know, kind of like what, what brought y'all to that point? Um, I'm, I'm hypercritical of this record. Um, it's not my favorite record that we did. I think it's a good record and I think it has good songs, but I also think it's got some extra stuff that we probably should have filtered through like a producer or someone who was like a little more, um, objectively aware of the final product. Maybe, I don't know, just, just kind of, um, what's interesting too, is from the self-titled two songs, seven inch all the way through rust, we recorded at the same place in Chicago with the same engineer producer, Andy from weekend nachos. So we did everything in the studio. And as the studio grew, we were growing and it was just kind of like a symbiotic thing. And, um, with blinded, we had to write an EP because we were leaving for a tour and blah, blah, blah. And like three, we had to write and record it in literally three weeks. We had half a song done and it was like, Holy shit. So we put out blinded and you have a seven minute song at the beginning of it. Right. Because again, we didn't, we didn't have the time to kind of like chop it up. And then I think we did the inverse for rust where we had all the time in the world. We took, we were putting stuff out once a year and we took two years. Um, and yeah, cause y'all it, definitely do the EP thing pretty, yeah. pretty regular. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love an EP from mm. early two thousands. Hardcore EPs are fucking dope. Like that's oh, the they best. were all over the place. They're, yeah. They're, they're, it was, there was nothing cooler than the death wish dead man's hand split EPs. Like that was fucking the ringworm and oh I didn't even talk about ringworm. The ringworm and terror uh dead man's hand split was like the coolest fucking thing. So we're we're really into EPs and, and stuff like that and like little stepping stones. Um and I just think that Rust, I don't know. I think the idea of Rust kind of I don't know, I don't want to sound like I don't like it, but it's just, you know, you have favorites and you have less favorites and blah 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 and I, I just think maybe the, the overall scope kind of got away from us and it just is a bit long and a bit like, you know, could have been trimmed a little bit. Got it. Now got there, it. I, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who it's their favorite and they're, they call me fucking crazy and everyone in the band likes it. So I'm not, we don't all hate it. This is just my opinion of this particular release. Sorry, everybody. We had a little bit of a technical difficulty. We're going to jump back into, uh, we got it all fixed. We're going to jump back into talking about the Rust record. Um, you know, 
the thing about Rust that I, be it that it, even though it's your third LP, uh, it, I know you're kind of treating it as like a sophomore LP to, or, or even, okay, it's fine. Even as a third LP, following up a Hot Fire Flames record is always hard. Yeah, and absolutely. Jess doesn't like, and, and here's the thing. You might like Rust, and a lot of people do like Rust, and I'm sure it hits a spot for um, a certain listener for sure. Um, I like personally, I like Isolation more. It's a little more my thing. Um, but I think Rust, as we've talked about for a lot of Harm's Way material, Rust is the next step in the path of stones to get to the next location. Definitely. You know? And Absolutely. so you need that. Um, but so, so that comes out in what you said, 2015, 2015. Yep. Okay. And that was a year where we did, um, our most touring to that point. We did a full, like we did a U.S. tour immediately flew to Southeast Asia and did Southeast Asian shows immediately flew to Australia and did three weeks immediately went to Japan and did 10 days and then came home. So that was like, that was the point where it was like to like our parents. It was like, oh, you're not wasting your life. <laughs> like, yeah, they're like, oh, this is what you do something. now. Okay. Yeah, right. So it was like cool, you know. Um. Well, yeah. I mean, you guys are like extremely pedal to the metal. What was that all like? Um, it was being that me, Chris, and James are like, um, we're really truly very good friends and have been for so long um despite we drive each other fucking insane like good friends do um with them it's easy we had a revolving door um from basically our first lineup up until post-human we had people just in and out in and out in and out the whole time who couldn't hold on to the same people not everyone could tour we did writing um for blinded and rust with this guy jay who started the writing process on um, Posthuman with us, but eventually just wasn't going to be able to tour. So we got Nick involved, and and um, Nick's roommate is this guy Casey, and they're our current like we finally have like since literally since two thousand nine have like a solid lineup. This is the this is harm's way. Oh now. yeah, yeah, big okay. time, big time. Um, so you know, with the guys and people who we were touring with at the time, we got to tour with Converge that year in Europe. And, you know, it was the first bus tour. It was like all these things where you're like, holy shit, like this, this is fucking rad. Like touring on a bus is a joke. It's not touring compared to what we've done for the last nine years. Yeah. You know, like it's amazing. Um, so you got to kind of experience all these things and, and feel as though, um, we're making, we're doing something, we're making progress. So like, it didn't even matter if I wasn't particularly crazy about the record compared to anything else. It was like, Oh, people like it. People dig it. And, and you know, we're going, we're running with it. And that was also the big turning point to, again, more of a view of the music industry, right? Like, okay. Oh, do you want to keep playing on the same tours or do you want to like, try to tour with like real metal bands like cannibal corpse or something which we very much did and eventually did you know um and that's when the role of at least for us because you absolutely don't need this as like a diy band you don't need a manager booking agents are kind of great anyway but you don't need a booking agent you don't need this or that like you can do stuff on your own 
and I'm sorry, this has to be super distracting. I have a no, I'm, I'm brother. I'm chilling. Okay, yeah, cool. for, for those that are uh, that are unable to see this podcast, as none of you are able to see it, uh, <laughs> he has a, a, a bitchin' video of obituary going on behind him. The classic, I want to say the classic turned inside out yeah. Uh, yeah. video from Headbangers Ball, yeah. which if you've never seen, go, go ahead see. and change your life. <laughs> <laughs> it is what every show should look like. Yeah. Okay, um, but... You know, it was kind of that glimpse into um, that side of what we might be dealing with and what we, what we eventually you know, are like involved in. And it opened a ton of doors for us and also was, again, much like in 2011 when we did our first real big tour was like, oh, there's like that exists, too. Like there are bands on, you know, fucking. Uh, it's so hard to not like say. To, to not so hard to not really talk shit, but like you know, they're like do warp tour and you see bands who are they're not there to play music, like they're they're there to like make money and hang out with people and like party, you know. It's like yeah. you kind of you see that, and we didn't really see, you don't really see that in hardcore, like no, like that's not what hardcore is about, you know what I mean. No. And, and if and if a band was really about that, like I feel like people are smart you know people would know right away it's just like oh who is this fucking oh you guys are fake as shit like you do yeah. you guys don't actually care what you're doing yeah and, and when that does in the rare instance that does happen and i can't even cite one like off oh. the top of my head but like when that does happen people very quickly are like fuck that like mm-hmm. you know so but yeah when you get into kind of like the, the the super pro world it's like you know there's some people that like they're like oh this is just a paycheck bro like oh, yeah. you know oh yeah i don't okay. care um and that's so yeah that's you're seeing weird, all that yeah I mean, we started to right like that was like the beginning of it um there was a period in between rust and, and post-human where it was like okay uh let's um post-human came out in 2018 so that was a three-year gap which mm-hmm. for us was like a very long time yeah we're about to have an even longer one because of covid but mm. regardless it was uh we wrote on it for a long time and we got Nick involved and Nick is a fucking weirdo, like space wizard on guitar. Who's like obsessed with music and is just incredibly talented and such a better guitar player than me. And his roommate happened to be this guy who's, who's really into um, electronic music and hip hop and stuff. And he was able to program one of the songs that's on post human. Um, and we just kind of like, folded them in and, and they you know we're all thick as thieves now it's it's actually kind of astounding how well we all get along for two groups of people that didn't really know each other um for so long we were able to do 2018 was like a super super busy year for the band um after the record came out we really hit it harder than we ever had and uh never had a fallen out never had an issue i'm happy to say knock on wood good good um but you know post-human was the first time that we we left uh chicago to record recorded with will putney at, oh, wow. uh, yeah. in new jersey and in belleville in a studio that he just closed and um it was the first time where we like lived and only did the record like no one was working no one was oh, like okay i gotta go at seven or whatever like like we had always done, it was always like, I get off work at five, I'll be there by six kind of a thing to like yeah. do a couple guitar takes or whatever. Like we woke up, talked about the record. We've, you know, went to the gym together, everything for five weeks. And it was 
fucking awesome. It was fucking awesome. They rocked. Okay, cool. Yeah, it was probably one of my favorite like periods as a band because like Nick is like a great cook. He would, but he drinks. Nick yeah. would get a little tipsy, cook us a fucking amazing meal. <laughs> we'd watch Game of Thrones. We'd hit the gym. Hell yeah. You know what I mean? And then we'd record and we'd write a song and it was just like, I don't know, man. It was, it was just like, I look back on that with like serious fondness. And now it sounds like a nice experience. It was amazing. Honestly. It was summer, summer camp. Yeah, it was fucking yeah. dope. So it also, it's like, oh, okay. So next time we know what we want to do because we got something cool out of it and we got an experience out of it. What led from like, you know, it started popping up in rust, but like what led y'all down kind of like the industrial route uh godflesh we got into uh, godflesh right before um isolation came out and that makes a ton of sense okay godflesh just being droney and hard mm-hmm. and so fucking weird and then you know like being in chicago you know there, there's like a big industrial um history here it's so like you know ministry and and wax tracks and all that stuff just like learning about it, kind of getting into it. And like, I don't love all industrial. Um, some of it is, is really hard to listen to, frankly, but like the stuff that I like that I know I like, I, I just know that there's a catchiness about it that I knew. And we all knew would translate into our band because we had like the same kind of like, we have to have a riff that's catchy, you know? You know, okay, don't mean to cut you off, but it's just like, no, yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm bringing it up. It's like, like you i I listen you know it's funny have you ever heard the 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 ministry billy club sandwich story no no okay uh now this i'm gonna i'm i'm prefacing this with as rumor because i'm not 100 percent sure that this is true but i've heard this if you take the ministry song thieves okay and and play it and then listen to the breakdown of the billy club sandwich song sucker punch okay they are do it after do it after we get off the call yeah they are like one to one and somebody saw the drummer in a ministry shirt one time and they like they think that they're actually like he wrote that part in that hardcore song like the rumor is he wrote that part of that hardcore song because he's such a ministry fan. Awesome. Um, and so that kind of stuff can translate over, mm-hmm. which on at like, I don't know, like I like KMFDM a lot. Would I imagine that that would like translate over to kind of like a hardcore world? Mm, like not really, but, but you can find the kind of like a way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just so interesting that you guys incorporated that into your sound because it, it's like you guys become like, and I, I mean this like in a positive way, almost like genreless. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know what type of band to refer to like Harm's Way as now. It's like an industrial metal band. It's a hardcore band. It's yeah. something completely different. You know? I love that. I love that. Um, That's all we ever really wanted to be. Right? It was like an amalgus, amalgamous, whatever the word is. Just like. Yeah it doesn't really make sense, but people know that it's like heavy. Like that's it. At, at the very least, we just wanted to be like a heavy band. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure you and I share the same opinions. Like we're always going to be a hardcore band, no matter what, because it doesn't really matter what the fuck you're playing. It's ethos. It, it's all up here. Yeah. It's all in that. It's, it's, it's ethos and for sure. So that, that will never change. And you know, I'm very proud of that aspect of our band. I don't think, 
I don't think um, anyone could really say otherwise from an outsider's point of view. And, you know, that matters. That matters to us. It matters to not suck <laughs> to be like good people on tour and to like yeah. take care of people and help when you can and blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, Godflesh. Godflesh was huge, Godflesh man. Godflesh. <sighs> that guy is a fucking genius. He, he remixed a post-human song on the remix. So we did, And he, he remixed an isolation song. The one that we really took the most <laughs> from him, he went ahead and remixed it. So that's another like cool poetic thing. And um, we played with Godflesh once and, and met Justin. He was awesome. Right. Where'd you play with him? In Chicago at the Metro. Yeah. Taking it back home. Uh, you know, when you guys were, you know, you did that long excursion, like the long experience of recording post-human, what, you know, in comparison to Rust, or just kind of like, just in general, what were you like, all right, we want this record to be like, thi- like this. Like, what what were you really trying to in- incorporate into that one? That was, um, that's a good question. I don't, you know, a lot of it was, starting to write with Nick. Mm. You know, um, people might not know this, but for a lot of the band, the main songwriter of Harm's Way was James. He okay. Would, he would record a riff at home that was like a single string kind of thing. It just kind of like you had to kind of decipher it and then we would work on it and we'd turn it into a song. And after, you know, 10 years or whatever, you're going to, the well's going to run a little dry, you know? Of course. Bringing in someone new like Nick who is so like, this guy's changing riffs as soon as I learn them. And it's just like, bro, like you got to chill. Like I can't do that. You know? Um, so he was, he was like a, a, a fire just kind of chilling and then literally throwing like a bunch of paper on it and like fuel on it. He was just like a huge, um, just a huge burst to like the creative process and, and making ideas work in ways that I would have never thought could and blah, blah, blah. And, um, I don't think there was ever a point on that record where we were like, oh, this is the, this is the, the, this is the, this song. Like, sure. You know, every record we have is there's always like, oh, the, the Sepultura part or, oh, the, yeah. the, the machine head song or whatever, like how you kind of nickname songs. And I don't remember a, a whole lot of that on this record on uh, post-human. Um, but there was just a lot of like, and I don't even know. It's it's such a blur. I remember I remember um, having to really use my brain to remember how to play these songs, like learning them. You know what I mean? Like it was just yeah. like it was just like a, it's it was it was a challenging record for me, and it was totally new and um, made it really exciting and just kind of really fun. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like breaching into very new ground. This is also the Metal Blade record, correct? Yeah, it's our first record on Metal Blade. How did, and like, how did, you know, that kind of come, that union come together? This is a great story. And this is confirmed by the person. So it's not, this is not in any way a humble brag or anything. It's legit. Like, yo, listen to how crazy this story is. Do you know the show? Do you know the show Chopped? Yes. The cooking show? Yeah. Do you know who Chris Santos is? He is the, uh, the shaved head uh, guy with tattoos. I've never watched Shop, but I but I, the name sounds familiar. Okay. But I, so, I know Shop. I know the show. He's a judge on the show. He's you okay. know, like a celebrity chef kind of guy. He owns a bunch, sure. a bunch of restaurants. He is friends with Brian Slagle. 
he and Brian Slagle were sharing an Uber in New York and he put, he said, yo, you got to check this out and put on rust and showed Slagle rust. And we, we had the, the pleasure of meeting Chris one time in New York. I asked him, they said, yeah, that's what happened. That's so, that was just, so cool. So that, like, what a natural way for that to happen. So fucking bizarre. It's so wild and and like obviously hilarious. Um, but that's kind of how that started. And, and again, it was more just like it was nothing to do with Death Wish or anything. It was like, well, what's the next step? What's what is something that Death Wish allowed us now to get to and to grow from? And you know, like being a, a heavy band, a, a metal band, whatever, on the same record label as Cannibal Corpse is fucking rad you know like create, create another full circle experience man. another full circle experience and like uh, a record label with a really crazy track history and, cool, and yeah you know slagle's fucking awesome and and mike is great and everyone we work with there has been really cool and um it's awesome you know it, and so it's there was that too though right when we're doing the record is like uh-oh <laughs> you know, oh, we got we got a lot to live up to here. Yeah, sure. How are, well, how are the Cannibal Corpse fans gonna like ingest this? Well, I will you know? say this: I did a show for y'all with braces in maybe seventeen or eighteen. I can't remember which one it was. It might have been on a tour you guys were on with Ringworm. Okay, so that would have been our headliner. Yep, off of Post Human. Yes. And what I remember is I remember that I go to that show and there was a lot of people there that I had not seen at anything else. And when Braces and I were talking about it and, and we were like, oh, because like there are people here that are like harm. They're, they're here because they are harm's way fans. Mm, and they have, it's like, we had like, you know, you had like a, like a core contingency of people that we knew there, but a lot of people that came that were like, these people ha- are accessing this from not the regular channel. Yeah. And, and so I think that's the thing is to answer your question is that the post human record appealed to a, a person that maybe previously you weren't reaching before just mm-hmm. only because they didn't have access. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we found out really quickly um, as soon as we started the Cannibal Corpse tour, which was like a five week tour, it was a long tour. Mm-hmm. As soon as we started it, it, we never had every show was great. We never had a bad show. Good. We never had a bad moment. Like everyone in their crew is super professional, awesome, very welcoming, very nice. Corpse Grinder loves you to today. Like it yes. all rocks. Like, seems all so sick. sick. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It, it, everything that you've heard is like true and they're fucking rad. They're awesome. And they were, it was a great experience. But like, once post human came out, it that kind of is how it felt. And, and shockingly, like the metal world or whatever, and like, you know, kind of beer metal guys are like, they're just hungry for heavy music. Yeah. It's kind of, you know what it was, is, is slightly before post human, we did a tour with Every Time I Die, Knock Loose, Us and Eternal Sleep in 2017. Mm-hmm. And we had seen Every Time I Die and like we were familiar with them, never toured with them. Same thing with Knock Loose. We had never toured with them. Eternal Sleep and us had toured prior and, and we were boys. And we got on this tour and like immediately, personally speaking, and both as the band and person, they just fell in love with like both Knock Loose and Every Turn, Every Time I Die. Every Time I Die are like genuine, actual rock stars who were still fucking cool somehow. And Knock Loose are like, at the time, teenagers who are fucking blowing up yeah, and who huge. are like it's, 
who are just the most hungry and the most excited. And it was so like refreshing and awesome. As, instead of being like, oh man, here we go, another fucking tour, they were like, ah, you know, like, yeah, no, the, they, are, they are machines. Like, uh, absolutely. They're the hay breed of now. I, I, nothing but the utmost respect for those guys and, and very, very proud of them. And um, in a lot of ways, kind of, they kind of being, even, you know, as new, quote unquote, and, and younger than us, showed us that, like, hey, you could do work tour, it's fine. You're only going to gain more people. Hey, you could tour with like these bands that aren't really in your wheelhouse. It's fine. It's not going to do anything. And it, it was absolutely true. They did 2017 work tour and we did the last one in 2018 and it was fucking amazing. And we shared a bus with every time I die who were fucking amazing. And it's just like, once all that really started happening, um, when we were writing for post human 2017 and, and going into this touring cycle, it was just like, that's when a lot of things started to really click with us, you know, as like a unit, as like a package, as you know, whatever. And it, it's, it's been very, very exciting. And COVID really fucking sucks because that was going to be the next, you know, everything to 2020 was going to be like blah, blah, blah. And it's just been fucking brutal. Well, that's kind of, so that's, that's the thing. So post human comes out in 2018, you do the headliner, it goes well. Mm-hmm. 2019 were you like just like staying home writing another record or like we were doing um like b market tours we did um a knock loose headliner with the acacia strain and um higher power which was awesome. oh yeah it was yep. great it was every band had an amazing tour uh we did a ghost main tour which was like again oh really yeah fucking weird but really fucking but those awesome. kids I bet fucking loved Dude, you. Those kids don't hear guitar music. No. When you no. and I were young and we were walking to through the parking lot to fucking Blockbuster, you yep. would hear Alice in Chains being played mm-hmm. or Nirvana or whatever. Those kids don't hear that at all. Never. Ever. You hear it in like a, a movie over exaggerated as like a a dive bomb or something. Like you don't yeah. like they're fucking I mean, there were literally people looking at us like like you guys are doing this like the guitar is doing like you know it was it was fucking awesome yeah it was awesome and like again it's one of those like kind of risky kind of weird you know and it's fucking great and so we were doing stuff like that we also did uh like our last headliner on the record with uh jesus piece mm-hmm. and um that was really good too and you know well, I think y'all are, y'all are a good band to kind of represent um, or you, what you are doing works for right now. Because like I said earlier, you're kind of like genreless now, right? The world is becoming genreless in a way. And like there's way less scene delineation and like like sound delineation that was occurring when you and I were younger. This is my opinion. I'm sure there could be people out there that are like, what the fuck are you talking about? But as someone that's like book shows and been in bands for, I don't know, a third of my life, actually half my life. uh, I am now seeing like way less kids being like, I don't listen to this. I don't listen to that. It's more like, Oh, I listen to kind of like every, it's like they listen to everything. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, like for a record like post human and what harm's way is doing right now, you can play in front of the ghost main crowd and then be like, this is cool. You can play in front of the knock loose crowd and then be like, this is cool. You can play in front of, you know, like 
I don't know, God's hate crowd. Yeah. And they'll be like, I know this, this is cool. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I think, I think kind of like y'all's evolution, like you talk about these risky tours. I think they're not risky at all. I think they almost just like, they work for you. Now they might, they might not work. For, they might not work for a different band. Yeah. If, if Restraining Order went out and played with Ghost Mane, that would maybe work, but it may not. Right. I think y'all have enough of something familiar to each of these audiences where they can be like, I see something in my own personal taste in them. You know, the, the trailblazers of that for us was terror. Terror yeah. can go out and do a Hapri tour, mm-hmm. a dying fetus tour, yep. a, a cannibal corpse tour, mm-hmm. which they've done all of these things and then do a headliner or do a fucking Acacia Street tour. They were like, it was like, look, they're doing it. And that is a band um, uh, amongst many things that has longevity, you know, and, and yeah, they're very ubiquitous, around yeah. and is making, in my opinion, the biggest impact, you know? And then, you know, it's funny. I just, just as a point, like imagine if after ill blood came out, if and, and suffer survive came out, which wasn't super well received at the time, if that happened in 2018, and how much oh, different it would have been. <laughs> and how I talk huge. about this kind of regularly, man. Yeah. Suffer Survive coming out now, would, like, like it, people wouldn't bat an aisle. They'd be like, sick. Yeah. Like, be like, oh, yeah, this is great. This fucking rocks, you know, because it does rock. <laughs> it's the does thing. Rock. It <laughs> um, always rocks. It always, here's the thing. It <laughs> always rocks. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's it's interesting. You can do that now. You you can do you can do like you can genre bend now, and people instead of people being like you sold out on your yeah. your like what you were about. Now they're like, oh, cool, they're trying this out, or you know, or or what have you. Um, it's good. It's a good thing. It's a, I think that's it's a good a, thing. That's I think a, good it's a good evolution. thing too. Yeah. So you know, you you you, okay, so you guys did do some more touring twenty nineteen. But things obviously shut down in 2020. Yeah. Our last what? show was with Lamb of God on Valentine's Day 2020 in Chicago. Hell yeah. Shout out to my boy, Randy. Yeah. Randy. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, what, did, so what have y'all been doing since? Just uh, writing. Um, we knew we were going to do an isolation thing uh, for the 10 year anniversary. Mm-hmm. And we, Literally, I mean, you, you know, we were trying to do it over the summer. It came out on the 5th of July in 2011. So we were trying to do it around then and COVID, blah, 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 blah. And by the skin of our teeth, we did it December 19th, 2021, you know, with 12 days to spare of the 10 year anniversary. Um, but we've just been, just been writing. I mean, for the first fucking, I don't know, eight months of the lockdown, we were doing Zoom meetings yeah. and trying to practice and trying to write. And it was brutal, man. It was just... Yeah. What are you going to do? You know, but at the same time, like we were in a very fortunate position, you know, riding out, knocked loose, Acacia strain, all put records out. And then the world shut down. That's right. Code orange. The, the day of the lockdown had their record release. Oh show. God. Yeah. They really got the rug pulled out from under them. I mean, so like compared to these bands who have triumphed and who have pushed past it, you know, I'm not saying that they were like ruined at all. No, no. Uh, just had but, adversity. But yeah, c- comparing the positions is like I, I we were very grateful to like not have put two years into something and then not be able to tour on it immediately. Because right. the unfortunate thing about about this music um, in particular is, you know, I think attention spans are really short. 
Super short. Super short. Pe- you know, I, social I, I, media I, and everything. Yeah. It's just like now, now, now. And as much as I love hardcore, it and you have it's weird. It, you get the most loyal people, but at the same time, those same people are also very fickle. Which seems in, like that seems so contradictory, yeah. and it's almost hard to explain. But it's like the pe- the people love you until they don't. <laughs> yeah. And. Yeah. Like, you know, and if you, and the thing is, what you're talking about with attention spans and like social media and stuff, if stuff is not boom, boom, boom in your face all the time, people forget they might fuck with you, but it just, when you're constantly inundated with so many new releases, new tours, new shows, like it, 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 it it's easy to forget things. So California you know. has a fucking band a week. I don't know what they're doing over there. Yeah. It's incredible. But they, <laughs> like, they just keep turning out shit and it's just like, yeah, of course, of course this is going to happen, you know? Um, so we're, we're good. Like, I'm happy to say that like as a band, we're good and we have the full intention of putting out another record and we are very much working on it. Um, and it's just kind of trying to figure out when the best, you know, the best way to navigate that is such an unsure thing. I just, I just know right now our attitude is like, we don't want to put something out unless we know we can fucking hit the road and do it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, to to quote what's been said a bunch. I mean, it's just like stuff. It, stuff was uncertain, then it seemed a little more certain, and now it's kind of going to like a like back to like an uncertain thing. And, and I think the only thing that is certain now is uncertainty. So <laughs> it's like yeah, it's like you almost gotta you gotta prepare. You gotta like I feel like whatever you do right now, you gotta be like, okay, we're doing this, but we know in the back of our minds that the rug could be pulled out from under us, yeah. but we're just going to hope that that's not what happens. Yeah. And the thing is not only will y'all be in that boat, that's everybody's boat. And we're all on the same ship. Um, and I think one thing that's happening is I think people are coming more understanding um, in, in a way. I, I think people are, are kind of more like, like, Oh, well, yeah. You know, it's like, cause like you, there's all these, all these shows, especially right now in this season, when this is coming out of there's like all these shows of either canceling or bands dropping things. Cause people are getting sick, you know, blah, 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 you know, what have you. And instead of people being like, yo, what the fuck? Yeah. It's like, they're like, Oh, okay. Like yeah. that, that makes sense. You know, kind of thing. Um, but, uh, which is, you know, which is, which is good. Like I've had some, you know, obviously I'm living on the West coast, but I, you know, uh, I make trips periodically back to Richmond and I still do, I still book a ton of shows there. I've had bands drop and I've had two shows this week and I've had two bands drop like two separate shows due to COVID. And instead of being like, Oh no. Yeah. It's right. like, ah, that's just, it's Hopefully the, we make it work next time. Yeah, the current yeah. reality is that's just how it's gonna be. Yeah. And at least few at least we can play. And y'all have to play recently, mm-hmm. you know, after the break. And like what y'all, y'all did two shows? We just did we did one um so knock loose the fucking powerhouses that they are sold out the metro in four hours added a yeah. second day and yeah. sold out the second day in eight hours mm-hmm. um incendiary was going to play the second day had their flight canceled last minute oh, yeah. so we got we got asked to play the day of so okay. we did a really quick set at that thing and then we did our isolation thing uh a couple weeks ago I thought which was, was too, yeah yeah something we were like planning and had figured out uh for a minute so that was kind of a different thing but um yeah, man, <laughs> we, we, we have no shows on the books for the first time in a long time. And that's kind of crazy. 
Well, I mean, I, I, are you gonna try? Are, are you gonna like? Okay, like let's orchestrate some stuff. Or are you gonna kind of wait, wait a bit? I think we have. I mean, I'm 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 really kind of winging it, so I'm not officially speaking for the band's plans or anything. But I believe like the vibe is more like, well, we don't need to play right now. Everyone's got a job. Everyone's okay. You know, um, we don't have to get out there. And also a, a part of the mentality, at least especially when stuff, kind of, like you said, kind of got opened a little bit earlier mm-hmm. in the year, the mentality was like, you know, I want Knock Loose and Riding Out the Acacia Strain and, and Code to go out and tour because they just put out records. Right. You know, I want them to have the only shows that everyone's going to be dying to go to. Take, take them. We don't. So need you're them. so you're you're, you're creating space for them by I by mean, kind not of officially yeah. right. But yeah, like, but you're thinking of it bit, that way. Sure, a little sure. bit. Absolutely. It's yeah. gonna be it's gonna be a tight market. Fuck yeah, get out there. That's and, true. That is and, fucking and, true. You know, recoup some of that money, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Good call. Good call. Well, so I mean, you know, like but that leads us to right now. What what can you reveal? Like, what is next? Um. Definitely. Putting out an LP. Yeah. Um, definitely planning on hitting it hard. We have some like ambitious, like ambitious for us bands who we want to tour with, but obviously, you know, let's get that has to stay vague. Um, but really just kind of like we've done is like, okay, what, what can we do? You know, I, I personally, we only went to Japan once. Fuck that. I got to go back. Hell yeah. Um, we do really our second best. Well, I should say third. It, America is obviously our best place. Then Canada, we do really well. And then our next best place is Australia. Somehow, cool. when I mean, we, it's cool though. We toured. I didn't even mention it. We toured Australia in 2019 at the very beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. It sold out shows and stuff. And it's Hell just like, yeah. fuck yeah! Like that's Hell the coolest yeah. shit. And like you know, Europe is tough, and Europe is a grind, and and we're not there yet. You know, and I want to get there in Europe too. And, and so we have, we definitely have things that we still want to check off, and like. The vibe of the band is good. We're all good and everyone's healthy and everything, you know? So like, we're definitely, um, we're just kind of like waiting for that clearing where it's like, okay, we can do it. Like, okay, a record can come out. And then on top of it, which I think is probably something that everyone's going to have to realize at some point is this year is like, yo, there is a 12 month wait on vinyl. Oh dude, don't even, I'm, I'm submitting masters to something like tomorrow. And I am, and I am like, I'm already forlorn at like whatever Sam tells me the lead time is. I mean, like, from, uh, yeah, I just think people, I think people need to be aware that there's a very real possibility that the bands are going to be touring on records that you're not going to own until the following year. Which, you know what, as a consumer, right. Sounds good to me. I live in the age of streaming. Right. I'll order the record. I mean, exactly. I've even thought about this. I've thought about, doing that, releasing it, putting pre-orders up with the understanding that it's like, you're going to get it later. And then it shows having like cards with like a QR code on it or something and be like, Hey, just like this links you right to the record. If you want to buy it, yeah. go ahead, you go know, ahead. like yeah. give it out to everybody with any item of merch, you know, yeah. what have you. Um, but dude, you, just, do that, you can count it as uh, record sales like Metallica does, by the way. There you, oh really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, buy this record and you get a T-shirt. Or actually, rather, it's buy this T-shirt, you get a record, get a and record? that counts as a record sale. Ah, you, good, job, good job, Metallica. Good job, Metallica. Yeah, no. that's that's a very real. You know, that's a reality that I don't I don't think many people are privy to yet. 
that's gonna yeah. be that's gonna be fucking major because you know like Adele put out her LP or whatever like all these huge <laughs> 40 names. billion copies or something like that like thanks Adele <laughs> um, but uh but uh but yeah that's know. it just writing and cool and planning and definitely plan on uh keeping to it for sure I mean all right so I mean that like I said, that leads us to right now is, is there anything you want to leave the, the listenership with before we sign off? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just keep on rocking, man. You know, no, it's just, uh, it's, just, you know, everybody knows like, you know, the social media and stuff like we'll, we'll post stuff on there and, um, we, we might have some stuff again. It depends on COVID, but we might have some stuff on either coast coming up, hopefully, but that's super up in the air. No idea when or where or like anything about it. We have some ideas, so hopefully um, um, we'll be able to to make that happen. But everything we're 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 purposefully staying quiet for a bit. Okay, that way. But people know that they will see harm's way, and that's what's important. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you again for coming on. It's been a blast. It's been a great time. They, you know, it's made me wish that we got to see each other way more often. Yeah, we, um, we have a lot more in common than I realized. I, yeah, time same. really yeah. blew my mind. Shoes time, brother. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, uh, thanks again, everybody. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode and want to support the podcast, please subscribe to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash form of passion. And uh, we're going to see you next time. Uh, enjoy the beginning of 2022.